as is the case so many times, I'm going to start this morning with a pop quiz. Ten Commandments. Can anybody name them? All ten of them? Oh, Jeannie's got a cheat note. Can anybody confidently stand up right now and say, yes, I can quote the Ten Commandments, one to ten, no questions about it. I don't care what version it's in, as long as it's not in like... No, never mind, I better not say that. <clears throat> okay, fine. Let's see if this is working. This is not working. That's bad news. Can you click me forward? Hey, 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 looky there. What we have in front of us is the Ten Commandments, the summary of God's law for Israel. Number one, do not have other gods. These are a condensed micro form of the Ten Commandments. Do not have other gods. Do not make graven images or bow down to them. <clears throat> Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Now, with them up there on the board, do you think you could stand up and rattle them off? Everybody's like, what? I think you could. But I want to ask you a question <clears throat> about the Ten Commandments. How many of you have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Besides Hamlet. Anybody? Anybody kept all ten without fail? I mean, it's really kind of silly to even talk about, isn't it? It's because I can, I can answer that question for you. You have not. <clears throat> and you will not. But let me ask you this question. If you kept all ten commandments perfectly all your life, will you go to heaven? Mmm. Mmm. Huh? You wouldn't die? That's pretty high stakes. If you keep the Ten Commandments perfectly all your life, will you go to heaven? I'm going to say no as well, Scott. No. Why? Even keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly doesn't give you sinless perfection, does it? What about eating shellfish? Anybody ever eaten a shrimp? Eating a crawdad? What about wearing garments with two kinds of fibers in them? That's in the law. You can't do that either. The Ten Commandments are a good summary of what God expects from His people. So if by chance you did happen to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, you still wouldn't go to heaven. Why? Now come on, Romans people. Huh? I got it. I got it. I'm sorry? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does it say? You can't be justified by the law. That is a perfect answer. That's true. By works of the law will no flesh be justified. We're saved by grace through faith. 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Okay, so let me keep going with this. If you're saved by grace through faith, as a believer, should you work hard to keep the Ten Commandments? I think that's a harder question. Should that be a goal? All it boils down to is this. What then is our relationship to the law if we're disciples of Jesus? Is the law binding? Do we have to keep it in order to make God happy? Is sanctification the process of keeping the law? Do we have to keep the law to keep ourselves saved? These are questions we'll answer definitively today. Let's look at our passage for today. Let's see if my thing's going to work here. I may take you up on those batteries, Wilson. No, I think it's going to work. Okay. Would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? <clears throat> or do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Come on. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let me pray. God, we have got a lot to talk about today. And I ask for Your Spirit's help to give clarity, to give power to Your Word, which is perfect, which restores the soul. God, help us this morning to know You, to hear You, to love You, And help us to know what our relationship to the law is this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Pray for Jeannie, because I've got a lot to go over today. And I'm going to try to not go real fast, so that she's not vapor-locked. I don't know if you remember or not, it's been several weeks ago. We talked about weightlifting and how when you're doing heavy lifting, you're tearing your muscles so that it'll build back up bigger. And I called you to muscular Christianity, to think hard, to work hard. I'm calling you to that again. What we're going to cover today is a lot, but I trust the Spirit's power to make it plain to all of us, not because of my words, but because of His Word. Okay, Quickly, as quickly as I can, let's review where we've been. We saw that we're all sinners. Again, and we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 
And that's important. You're not going to hell because you committed a sin. You're going to hell when you're born because you're a sinner. We were imputed Adam's unrighteousness. When Adam sinned, we all sinned in Adam. So everybody from Adam, except for Jesus, from Adam till the end of time, was born a sinner. So everybody needs to be made right with God. Second was justification by faith, which Steve mentioned. We are justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. The means for being right with God is being justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus, which has brought us to point three is where we're at today. Blessings, the results of being right with God. And I'm telling you, if we can just get a hold of chapters... Well, we need the whole Bible. But if we could get a hold of chapters 6, 7, and 8, wow, we would understand these blessings. And then we'll be headed toward vindication and application and then some concluding mandates. Along the way, we have stopped in and progressed through Asian Station. Expiation, God takes the guilt of our sin away from us. Propitiation, He places it on Christ and punishes Christ for our sins. We sang about it this morning. Imputation, we were imputed Adam's sin, but by the free gift of grace, we're given the righteousness of Christ. That's imputation. That puts us in a state of justification. We're right before God. God sees us as right. We have the right to be in front of Him, which sets us on the path of sanctification, which is us progressively becoming more and more like Jesus. God fashioning and forming us in the image of Christ. And before the foundation of the world, we were saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. And one day, finally, we will be completely and fully saved, which is salvation. The key to all of this has been our union with Christ. We've been crucified with Him. We will be raised with Him. We have been raised with Him too. And so there is a call to walk in newness of life now. And what we saw in chapter 6 was the fact that Paul says that we died to sin. That's good news, right? And what we're seeing, what we're seeing now and what we will see throughout chapter 7 is the truth that we've died to the law as well. And two weeks ago... On Resurrection Sunday, we looked at Romans 7, 1 through 6, and what we saw in that was that there is resurrection power available to us. We saw that we were wed to Christ and that He placed His Spirit within us. Now, my problem with that message from two Sundays ago is that it was an incomplete message. It was by design, but I hate to do that. But what we didn't do two, two weeks ago was answer the question of why. Why do we have to die to the law? What benefit is that? I think we saw that we did die to the law. But what we're going to look at today is answer the question of why. And I'll get to that in a minute. I want to start by just doing a quick recap of chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she will not be 
an adulteress. So again, we talked about this two weeks ago, and the analogy is pretty straightforward, I think. Verses 2 and 3, Paul says plainly that marriage is a till death do us part arrangement. A married woman is bound to her husband as long as they are both alive. If she lives with another man while her husband is alive, she will be called an adulteress. Now the same could be said of a man who's married and lives with or is intimate with another woman. He would be called an adulterer. But if one spouse dies, the other spouse is freed from the law of marriage and is free to remarry another person and as such is not considered to be an adulterer or an adulteress. So what's the way out of the law of marriage here? Death. Somebody has to die. Okay. Again, I think that's pretty straightforward. Pretty simple math. Now, to refer back to verse 1, he's speaking in relation to a person's relationship to the law. He speaks to those who know the law, which I presume means fellow Jews, and he says that the law, God's law, the Mosaic law, is binding on a person only as long as what? As long as he lives. Then he goes into his analogy to paint the picture that in the same way a person is freed from the marriage, the, the law of marriage, if there's a death of one of the spouses, in the same way we are freed from our binding relationship to the law if there is a death. And what we saw two weeks ago is that there was a death. Who died? We died in Christ. So there was a death in the me-law relationship. I died. And as a result, the law, my, my relationship with the law has been what? It's been broken. And now I am free to marry another. And who did we marry? We married Christ. We are the bride of Christ. So I think that's pretty straightforward, okay? I think we're all, I don't think anybody has any again, do I understand the ins and outs of it all, how I died, when I died, and what that means? Not really, but it's worth worth noting that there was a death, therefore the relationship with the law was broken. So again, my question is, why do we need to die to the law? Now, you've got to keep in mind as well that Paul is referring back to his questions in Romans 6.1 and Romans 6.15. And basically the question he was asking in those two verses is, but if there's no law, can't we just go on sinning? Can't we just sin since there's no law? Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That was Romans 6.1. Romans 6.15 was... If I'm not under law but under grace, can I just go on sinning? Those are the questions. Because again, you got the law helps us, right? The law gives us boundaries. The law tells us what we should and shouldn't do. So if there's no law there and I can do whatever I want to do, can I just go on sinning? Paul is answering those questions here specifically about the law in chapter 7. whether or not a Christian should sin since they are under grace and not under law. He went on to say that we're set free from sin, and I'm thinking, well, shouldn't that be enough? I mean, if we're free from sin, if we're dead to sin, that should be pretty much all we need, right? 
No, it's not. We need to die to the law. Why? Why do we need to die to the law? And we're going to address that in verses 4 through 6. We saw two weeks ago that we were joined to Christ in union with Him in His death and His resurrection. We were wed to Him, we're dead to sin, and we're walking in resurrection power. That was Resurrection Sunday. So again, I'll ask, why did we have to die to the law in order for all these things to be true and helpful? Let me read verses 4 through 6 again because this is where our answers are going to come from. Likewise, my brothers, and what I want you to look for in these three verses are so that, in order that, so that, because that's going to answer our question of why. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. That answers how we died to the law. When Jesus died, we died. So that's the how. In our union with Jesus, when He died, we died. He died, we died. We need to write that song. Somebody write that. He died, we died, He died. Sometimes, you know, as I get older, the filter is leaving, just so y'all know. I just say what's on my mind. It scares me. He died, we died. And that was so that, look at verse 4, why did we die to the law through the body of Christ? So that you may belong to another. And that another is Jesus, Him who has been raised from the dead. That's where we saw our resurrection connection. Another good word, the resurrection connection. This is just fantastic. <laughs> Died with Him so that we might be resurrected with Him. And since there was a death, we were freed from the law. But again, why? Now look at that last clause. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Why did we have to die to the law? Let me read the whole statement again. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We died through the body of Christ so that we might belong to another in order that we may bear fruit for God. So the whole purpose statement here is in order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Now grab a hold of that. Let me sum up the Christian life for you in four words. The Christian life is about bearing fruit for God. The Christian life is about bearing fruit for God. Now let me take a quick look at the words of Jesus about this fruit thing. John 15 is a familiar passage about fruit. Jesus talking to the disciples 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I'll always remember putting Andrew on my back and carrying him up here to talk about abiding. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I remember it, so there. My illustration was awesome. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now get a hold of this. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Did you catch that last sentence? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now that's a big statement. You are proven to be Jesus' disciples and God is glorified by what? By you bearing much fruit. You want to glorify God? Bear fruit. You want to prove that you're a disciple of Jesus? Bear fruit. But the question is, what is fruit? You're like, oh, that's easy. Apples, oranges, tomatoes are a fruit because they got seeds in them. No. No. Yes and no. That's not the kind of fruit we're talking about. <clears throat> the Greek word for fruit is karpos, transliterated K-A-R-P-O-S, karpos. And it means in this instance, listen, this is what fruit is, that which originates or comes from something, an effect, E-F-F-E-C-T, a result. Fruit. I want to read that again. Fruit is that which originates or comes from something. An effect, a result. It's the same word in Galatians 5 where Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no... Okay. Hmm. Interesting connection, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sorry about that, Gene. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we'll come back to Galatians 5 in a little bit. But for now, let's leave it at the fact that we are proven to be Jesus' disciples and God is glorified in and through us when our lives are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in order for that to happen... We have to die to the law. 
Why? Romans 7, 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. For while we were living in the flesh refers to the life we had before we were born again. We were in the flesh or living by the power of our flesh. And that flesh is unregenerate. It has no life in and of itself. Flesh equals self. In and of ourselves, we are powerless to please God. Grab a hold of that. Paul will say later in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And boy, when we get into that, it's going to be fantastic. But what is there any good in your flesh? No. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. In our flesh, we are incapable of pleasing God. So what can the flesh do? Now here's where we'll go back to Galatians. Verses 19 through 21 give us the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you want to know what the flesh can do? Voila! That's what the flesh can do. And those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you contrast these things, this list, with the fruit of the Spirit, which is what you should do, there's one big thing to note. Everybody pop your knuckles. Whatever you got to do. I can just... Something wrong with that. If you contrast these two lists the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, there's one big thing to note. What do you think that thing is? It's the works of the flesh and it's the fruit of the Spirit. What's the difference in that? Huh? Well, plural and singular? That's true. That's not what I'm looking for. With the fruit, it was the effect, the result of the Spirit. But here, it's the works of the flesh. That word work is ergon, E-R-G-O-N. We get our word energy from it. And that word work means it's an act, a deed, a thing done. So you're contrasting effects of something else versus the thing that you do. You with me? Does that make sense? Fruit is an effect of somebody else, something else. Works is something that you do. Stay with me, okay? 
stay with me. Stay on target. Stay on target. So the flesh can work, but in connection with Paul's statement that nothing good dwells in his flesh, the work or works that it does can only produce bad things. The energy expended while in the flesh cannot produce good things. Go back to Romans 7, 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to do what? To bear fruit for death. So, your works of the flesh are connected to a fruit, but what kind of fruit? You work and it produces death. Fruit for death. So the works of the flesh produce fruit for death. Okay, but we died to sin, right? Yes, we did when we died in Christ. But look at what was going on in your flesh and with your sinful passions. What aroused those sinful passions? The law. Our sinful passions were aroused by the law. As if sinful passions weren't bad enough, and they are, those sinful passions are aroused. They're stirred up. They're made more potent by the law. Now we'll see over the next week or two that the law in and of itself is good and right and holy. But... When combined with our natural self, when combined with our flesh, the law becomes a weapon in the hands of sin. Sin uses the law to arouse our passions, to make us want what we should not even want. And not only do we want it, we want it more when we see the law. So the good law of God, holy and righteous, gets prostituted by our sinful flesh and it gets used against us so that the law arouses our sinful passions. Jeez. To use Appalachian vernacular, that ain't good. Not, not good at all, precious. But don't give up hope. Why? Because Romans 7, 6 is why. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, I mentioned two weeks ago that John Piper said Romans 7.4 and Romans 7.6 are the very essence of the Christian life. I saw or actually heard another quote this past week by Tim Keller, who I have a lot of respect for. He says... If you don't understand Romans 7, 6, you don't understand Christianity. So this is pretty big. This is pretty important. Not just because John Piper and Tim Keller said so, but I agree with them that this is really, really important. So, the law was being used against us and led to our sinful passions being aroused. But... Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Now there's a load of good news contained in that phrase. We saw in the marriage analogy of verses 1-3 through three that our union with Jesus meant we died with Him. And when we died with Him, we were freed from the law. So we're released from the law. 
The next clause says, having died to that which held us captive. Speaking of the law. Everybody awake? Do I need to smack the pulpit? Okay. There. This is so important. And I know it's a lot of information. We're going somewhere with it. Okay? Stay with me. <clears throat> it's worth explanation to look at what it means that the law held us captive. Now I know there, was, there were some questions as to why I would say two weeks ago that we were joined to or married to the law before we were saved. This helps give us some clarity on that. It says here that the law held us captive. That makes me ask the question, then what was the purpose of the law? <clears throat> Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Jesus speaking, He says, <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now wait a second. This could be a little confusing, right? For I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So thinking about the law, Jesus said He came to what? Fulfill the law, not to abolish it. I've heard many people, and I've probably said it in the past myself, Jesus came to do away with the law. No, He did not. He came to fulfill it, to bring it to completion, to work it perfectly, walk it perfectly, so that God could look at Him and say, Law fulfilled. Kept perfectly. That's why... That's what Jesus' relationship to the law was. He came to fulfill it, not to abolish it. He didn't come to replace the law, be careful, stay with me, or to do away with it. He said, till heaven and earth pass away. Has heaven and earth passed away? Hmm? Uh, you know, we watched Doctor Who the other night, and, and it did, and then it didn't. And I'm going, now wait a second, what's going on? Neither it did or it didn't. Heaven and earth has not passed away. Okay? That's not the TARDIS up there burning in the sky. Some of you don't have... I don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> anyway, heaven and earth has not passed away. So the law is still there. He also said in conjunction with that, in the same thought pattern, that the righteousness needed to enter the kingdom of heaven is a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So what righteousness did they have? One based on an outward keeping of the, of the law. So what righteousness would exceed that? Romans tells us that it is the righteousness that comes by faith in what? In the finished work of Jesus. Listen, faith in the same Jesus who came to do what with the law? To fulfill it. So, not our outward righteousness, not a striving to do good and keep the law, but a righteousness based on faith in the one who fulfilled the law. 
in His life of obedience. You see, the scribes and Pharisees and we, if we're not careful, miss the whole point of the law. And what is the point of the law? Galatians 3. This is absolutely irreplaceable in this discussion. To give a human example, Paul writes to the Galatians, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Boy, this sounds like Romans 4, right? It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean, Paul says. The law which came 430 years afterward, after the covenant with Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Why, here's the so that question, right? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. A question we will not answer this morning. I don't know what that means. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come but now the faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ we could stay in that passage for a long time. We're not going to. But let me just hit the highlights and answer the question, what was the purpose of the law? God promised Abraham that the covenant He made with Abraham would be fulfilled in Christ. The law came 430 years later and did not annul that promise. So why the law? Verse 19 says it was added because of transgressions. If you'll hearken back, if you were here, Romans 5.20 said that the law came to increase the trespass. Which sounds really cruel, but it's not. Because where sin abounded, what happened? Grace abounded all the more. Same thought here in Galatians. Now I want you to really look close at verses 22 through 27. This is the key to all of it. But the Scripture imprisoned every, everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you see it? What was the purpose of the law? The Scripture or the law imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law brought the hopelessness of sin so that trusting in Jesus would be the way to be right with God. Then in verse 23 it said we were held captive, imprisoned under the law until the revelation of faith came. Stay with me. Verse 24 then says that the law was what? Our guardian. Now let me tell you what that Greek word for guardian means. It means a tutor. T-U-T-O-R. In other words, a guardian or a guide of boys. Among the Greeks and the Romans, the name was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of boys belonging to the better class. The boys were not allowed so much as to step out of the house without them before arriving at the age of manhood. That's what the law was. Do you get that? The law supervised our life and our morals and was our constant companion with the thought that we were bound to the law. Until what? Until Christ came. Until faith in Christ came. And when Jesus came, we were freed from the tutor. We were yoked to Jesus, wed to Him actually, no longer needing a tutor or a supervisor. We are justified by faith in Jesus, no longer needing an external moral code. We are now sons of God through faith because we were baptized into Christ, which is our union with Him, and we have put on Christ. And what did Christ do with the law? He fulfilled it. Kept it perfectly. Now, go back to Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We died to the law. We graduated from the tutor. Why? Remember way back at the beginning of the message, the big question was why. Why do we have to die to the law? The end of the verse tells us, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So that means the letter, the external code written on tablets of stone, which was powerless to make us holy, has lost its authority over us because we died to it. And we died to it, why? So that we could serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way that imprisoned us, bound us, and made us sin more. So the law was given to lead us to Christ, not to make us holy in and of ourselves by our own behavior. 
But the law was given to show us our need for a Savior who was coming, our need for an internal power, not an external condemnation. And we have to die to the law so we can rest in Christ and have Him empower us for obedience from the heart. And there's all kinds of new covenant implications here. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, which we just don't have time to go back to. But we've talked about them earlier in Romans. Paul sums this up perfectly in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Listen, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Man, I want to jump on top of this podium. But I can't. <laughs> that would be funny. I'd love to hear that recording too, by the way. <laughs> this is fantastic news. That's it. That's it. The letter, the law, kills. So before it can kill us, we die to it. And the once we were dead to the law, we are joined to Christ in His life. Now that that is true, once we are dead to the law, we are joined to Christ, wed to Christ, and His life, His Spirit resides in us and gives us that very same life, the very life that came and fulfilled the law, so that we serve by the very power of that internal spirit who is super sufficient, not under the threat of the external letter, which only showed us how sinful we really were. Which means that the gospel is fantastic news. So let me try to wrap it all up. <laughs> I want to wrap it up by asking the question I asked at the beginning. Why did we have to die to the law? The answer was in the passage, verse 6. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And what does that mean? It means that we had to die to the law because the law makes us try to keep a list of do's and don'ts in order to please God. That's all the law can do. And what did we say that led to? Death. Fruit for death. The law tries to make us keep a list of do's and don'ts in order to please God, and we cannot do it. Quite the opposite happens. The law arouses our sinful passions and kills us. We bear fruit for death. But we don't serve by the old way of the written code anymore. Or do you? Why don't you think about that for a second? How are you serving God today? 
Is it by trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts? Let me tell you, that's epidemic in American Christianity. And we've exported it to other countries. And we teach them that they've got to be good enough and they've got to try hard enough if they're going to make God happy even after they are saved. So that we die to the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And what does that mean? It means we had to die to the law because the law makes us try to keep a list of do's and don'ts in order to please God, and we can't do it. We bear fruit for death. But we don't serve by the old way of the written code anymore. When you were born again, when you were saved, you are saved to serve in the new way of the Spirit. You're not keeping laws to make God love you. Did you hear that? You're not keeping laws to make God love you. You are in love with God by the power of the affections of the Holy Spirit who is within you. Paul would say earlier in Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has caused to live within us. It's a love motivation, not a law motivation. And I want you to hear that. I want you to experience that. God Himself gives His Spirit to you so that you might serve from inner affections, not outward demands. I love how John Piper sums all this up. Let me quote him. Oh, how easy for us to come so close to getting the Christian life right, the newness of the Spirit, Christ! instead of the oldness of the letter, which was law, and then fall right back into the old legal way of living by making Christ a new list giver and a new means of finally getting the old list right. And so we wind up going from room to room in the house of law, turning all the combinations that we got from Christ. Do not do this. Do not do this. And we think that is the aim of the Christian life. Piper goes on to say this, I don't think this is what Paul means when he says in Romans 7, 4 that we die to the law so that we can belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. He didn't mean die to the law so that you can belong to the one who can really help you to belong to the law. He was saying the law is not the goal of history. Christ is the goal of history. The law is not the goal of your life. Christ is the goal of your life. Christ did not come into history to lead us to the law. The law came into history to lead us to Christ. The law is not the goal of Christ. Christ is the goal of the law. Marriage is not for the sake of wedding vows. Wedding vows are for the sake of marriage. So what is our relationship to the law as born-again Jesus followers? End of quote. When we look to the law as Christians, it's for one purpose. The purpose of looking at the law at all is so that we can see Jesus. John 5.39, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. 
The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. We say that the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ, and that is our application from this passage. If I could tell you one thing from this passage, one point of application from this passage is this. Christ is all. The law is powerless to save us. Listen, the law is powerless to sanctify us. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our sanctification. The law is powerless to make us holy. In Christ we are holy. The law aroused our sinful passions. Christ becomes our passion, far outweighing our desire for sin. Christian, you have died to the law. The law accomplished its intended purpose when it led you to Christ. And now that you are in Him... He is in you and you serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the old way of the death-producing letter. Dead to the law, alive in Christ. May we know the truth that sets us free. I'm going to finish by rereading those three verses in Romans 7, 4-6. through Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We have died to the law so that we might belong to another in order that we may bear fruit for God. You will never bear fruit for God, which is the essence of the Christian life, if you try to use the law to do it. Never. And there are movements and uh, hop on the internet. There's some crazy stuff out there. People talking about the law and how we are commanded to keep the law. I died to the law in Christ. The law is good and right and holy and perfect, yes. But its purpose was to lead me to Christ. And now that I'm in Christ, I'm not trying to keep the law anymore. I live as unto Christ by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I serve in newness of the Spirit. And that's the so that purpose in all of this. So that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. Why did we have to die to the law? So that we could serve in the new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. We have died to the law so that we might belong to another in order that we may bear fruit for God. And the fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced by the Spirit as we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's why we had to die to the law. And I am oh so glad that we did. Let me pray. As for this God, His way 
is perfect. <laughs> God, I exult in you this morning. I exult in your perfect plan. I exult in your perfect power. And this morning, getting back to what we said before we started singing, God, I exult in what you have said about me. I exult that your perfect plan included me dying to the law so that I might serve in the newness of the Spirit. God, I pray that this morning you would crush any expectations in us and anybody sitting in this building this morning, any expectation that we could even try to keep the law to make you happy. The law was given to be a tutor that would lead us to Christ. And now that we have Christ, now that we died in Christ, now that we were resurrected in Christ, we are dead to the law. And we don't try to please you that way anymore. You are well pleased with us because of the finished work of Christ. And we walk in newness of life, in the newness of the Spirit, in your perfect plan. And it is perfect, God. It is perfect. The law served its purpose. And we rejoice in that. Help us, God, to walk in newness of life by the power of Your Spirit so that You might be glorified through the fruit that Your Holy Spirit produces through us. You are the vine. We are the branches. May we abide there. And may You be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to receive this powerful benediction? Oh God. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you all.